Do you want to help the Roll Call Room podcast keep going? Of course you do. Join Patreon and pledge to the show each month. Tiers start at $5 and you can get some pretty cool shit with it, including swag and access to listen to episode clips early. So put that Starbucks coffee down and help my dad keep the show going. Don't be a fucking Steve. Go to rollcallroom.com to pledge today. The issues discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast do not reflect the opinions of any specific agency. Any characters discussed on this show may be fictional for comedic value unless you're a shitbag Steve. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. Develop your own compass and trust it. Take risks, dare to fail. Remember the first person through the wall always gets hurt. You're gonna fall down, but the world doesn't care how many times you fall down as long as it's one fewer than the number of times you get back up. Fail big. That's right. Fail big. You only live once, so do what you feel passionate about. Take chances. Don't be afraid to fail. There's an old IQ test was nine dots, and you had to draw five lines with a pencil within these nine dots without lifting the pencil. The only way to do it was to go outside the box. So don't be afraid to go outside the box. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big but remember dreams without goals are just dreams and they ultimately fuel disappointment so have dreams but have goals life goals yearly goals monthly goals daily goals and understand that to achieve these goals You must apply discipline and consistency. In order to achieve your goals, you must apply discipline and consistency every day, not just on Tuesday and miss a few days. You have to work at it every day. You have to plan every day. You've heard the saying, we don't plan to fail. We fail to plan. Hard work works. Working really hard is what successful people do. Do not be afraid to fail, because that oftentimes is the thing that keeps us back, because we think we have to be right. We think we have to be perfect. We think that we can't stumble. And the only way you succeed in life, the only way you learn, is by failing. It's not the failure, it's what you do after you fail. You know, do you let it eat you up? Do you quit? Do you give up? Or do you let it bolster you? Does it serve as as the challenge in your mind to do more, to take some risks, to step outside of your comfort zone? Turn your wounds into wisdom. You will be wounded many times in your life, 
You'll make mistakes. Some people will call them failures. But I have learned that failure is really God's way of saying, excuse me, you're moving in the wrong direction. It's just an experience. If you are going to try something hard, if you're putting yourself out there in some way, there are gonna be times where you screw up or you don't succeed. Or there are times where you do everything right and you still don't succeed. You'll go through some failures. And, and I think that the most important thing is to learn from those failures uh, and to have a sense of resilience, to be able to examine what is it that I did not succeed at, why didn't I succeed, and what do I need to do better. And welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast, the podcast that pissed shitbag Steve's off and fucked over my dad. And now your host and my daddy, Nick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Royal Call Room Podcast. My name is Nick, and I am your host for the evening for this Roll Call Room. And with me is another very special co-host, Detective Mario, all the way from the greatest run city in America, New York City. What's up? What's up? Hey, buddy. What's up, pal? How's it going, bro? Good, good, good. Hey, um, what the fuck is going on over there? Are you are you running a fucking dog fighting? I don't know. My dog is barking at herself. I don't know. Michael Vick over right now? (laughs) No, Michael Vick. So, buddy, I um I got to tell you uh right from the beginning of the show I went to the um uh gas station and here in Virginia our gas stations are 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 pretty fucking legit like uh they have food like you can have food made there and everything. I don't know if you guys have that over there like sheets. Do you have sheets? No. Shits? Okay. We have the shits, yeah. Shit. Yeah, so we have shits down here and we have Wawa. And uh, shits is legit, man. Like, like I, I drive an electric car, so I don't get gas. So I legit only go there for like drinks and snacks. And I don't get any plug for that. Like, I don't get any money for this. So I don't even know why I'm talking about it. But I'm online with my drink, uh, my Coca-Cola drink that I'm totally hooked on. Have you had this new Coca-Cola energy drink? No. What is it? Uh, it's a, it's an energy drink from Coca-Cola. Ooh. Yeah, you need to check that out. I get the zero sugar cherry one and it's legit. And I used to be a big monster drinker and rain and bang. And now I'm like totally hooked on this. Like I really, really like it. It's hard to find places that have it. But I'm online 
And these folks over at Reese's, I don't know what you guys are doing, but stop. It's enough. I've had it. I've had it with your fucking creations. I've had it with you tempting us with your deliciousness. Enough. Stop. Please. Stop it. Stop. Please. Erases. They're too much. They're so good. It makes me want to have. Melt in your mouth. I put it in my mouth. But it melts. The peanut butter. It tastes so good. Please stop. Enough. One kind is all we need. You keep changing it. Thin. Thick. Bigger. King. Kinger. Stop. Please. Cereal. 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 Tastes so good. With real milk. Not that skim. You pansy. Skim is not real milk. It's water. With white stuff. So please, just stop. So anyway, so I'm online and I come across this Reese's Peanut Butter Lovers uh, uh, candy. Mm. and Yeah, dude, check this out. The people can't see. Uh, but it's peanut, more peanut butter on top than peanut butter in the middle and then very little chocolate at the bottom because I'm not really a big chocolate person. But look at how they did it. They put a thin peanut butter on top and then the normal Reese's Pieces peanut butter in the middle and then like very little chocolate around the bottom. Mm. And 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 I have a couple of problems with this, but look at this packaging and it says king size. King size. It's small as shit. Like, <laughs> who the fuck is making the determination with king size? Like, this is... This is not king size. This this is like prince size. And I'm not talking about prince. I'm talking about like, you know, like small. This is not king size. King size is 210 calories. Oh, well, let me tell you how many calories this motherfucker is. Well, and this is where they trick you. You always got to look at what the serving size is because you would think that this whole thing, which is four Reese's cups is one serving size and it's deceiving because it says at the bottom 210 calories right there. Right. But that's only for two of them. Mm. Sneaky marketing motherfuckers. Yeah. But it's like a party in your mouth. Oh dude. I had one of these earlier and let me tell you something. I wasn't at studio 50. What was it? Studio 56. Four. I wasn't at studio 54 or six. One of those. But I can only imagine how many parties in the mouth there were in that club. <laughs> Ooh. And when I put one of these Reese's in there, it was, dude, <sighs> I saw some crazy things. It was amazing. So if you haven't checked these out and you like Reese's, uh, they're not a sponsor. We don't get anything for it. We don't get anything for suggesting it. I just like to look for snacks like when you're out on patrol it's a good little, it's got some, you know, peanut butter in it, which is good for protein or I don't know if you're doing any exercises or anything. Um, 
Yeah, because I'm going to lift weights and I'm going to have a Reese's Pieces peanut butter cup. You never know, man. You never know. You ever see some of these jacked up cops on Instagram and, and, and TikTok? Don't let them fool you, bro. They're having fucking Reese's peanut butter cups. They're not. Don't uh, don't don't think that they're fucking following, you know, their diets very closely. But um, I just wanted to say I, I just thought that was a beautiful uh, candy and uh, good job, Reese's. Good job. So what's your favorite candy? My go-to is Twizzlers. Twizzlers? Yeah. I love Twizzlers. Which kind, though? Strawberry, cherry, chocolate. They have Hershey chocolate or that black licorice, which is disgusting. I get the um, what strawberry? The, the strawberry, but the, the cherry nibs. nibs. Oh, you're a nib person. I take those. I put them like I'm packing some dip, and I just suck on them. <laughs> Well, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, there's an article about uh, what type of Twizzlers that you like, and nibs means that you're a pedophile. That's for another show. Yeah, I'm just telling you, that's not normal for a grown man to like nibs. Listen, man, I'm a kid at heart. Always going to be a Toys R Us kid. Always. You know they're out of business, right? Yeah, but I'm still a Toys R Us kid. Okay. Keep having faith that Jeffrey's coming back. He is. Okay. Sure. He is. Don't tell me anything other. I believe it. I believe it. Um, so uh, what's pretty cool is that um, this episode, I have Travis Yates coming on. Travis Yates is the author of The Courageous Leader. Um, it's going to be a fantastic um, episode and a great interview. Just an all-around really good dude. He's going to talk about um, poor leadership and cowards, um, cowards within our leadership. I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. Um, and um, yeah, that's what we got going on. How have you been otherwise, bud, bud? Good. Same, same old, same old. Yeah? Just trying to live the dream, brother. You know what that means, right? I'm sure you're going to tell me something. It means that you're not living the dream. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Are you? Yeah, man. You just, you know, trying to do my day to day. Try to make everybody happy in my life. How much longer you got? Thirteen months, but I'm not oh. really counting. Damn, good for you, bro. We'll see what happens. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, you know. Um you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now, so I got 13 uh, months, 11 days, two hours, 14 minutes, but I'm not really counting. Um, you know, it's a short time away, but it's long. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in the next couple of months. Yeah, I could tell you from from I have zero days left. Yeah, I know. I'm officially retired. Hey, you know what? I could retire and then I can uh, I can join hop on board hop on board full time with you. That's right. Uh, the Nick and Mike show all over again. Yeah. And then we'll, uh, then I could tell you what I really feel. Yeah, dun, dun, I dun. That's what I love about not being attached to an agency anymore is that I can pretty much say whatever the hell I want to say mm-hmm. that I've held on to. You know, don't get me wrong. I love my agency. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I did. Too. Yeah, I love sure, it. yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure you did too, but you know, sh- shit happens and you know, shit happens for a reason. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. And you know what? I think it, uh, it, 
it definitely taught me a valuable lesson about the show. Like it taught me a valuable lesson in my per- professional life and my personal life. Um, people that you think that would be with you through thick and thin in your professional life, you, you learn very quickly that they aren't, that they're there for positional equity. And then in your personal life, the friends that you think that you have or, or people like when this show got really, really popular, and it continues to keep getting popular. It's kind of like it's kind of like when somebody hits it really big in Hollywood and people flock to them and they want to feed off of them and they want um they want to feed off of that fame. Um and being a kind-hearted person, you want to try and help them as much as you possibly can. Uh especially people that are in the law enforcement community um you know you want to elevate them. You want to elevate their companies, uh, especially when they're trying to do a side hustle. You want to help them. You want to promote their stuff. And then when something happens, like what happened with my thing, and there's allegations that were made against me from my department, whether they were true or they weren't true, these people run for the fucking hills. Um, that that shows some true character right there. And you watch these people disappear. And then you know, like they forget that you helped build their business or you helped throw some business their way. Um, or if you help them with podcasts and they turn their back on you and you were super supportive and always plugging them and always giving them advice on how to, you know, elevate their podcasts or how to gain more listeners. And then something like that happens and their initial reaction is, is, well, I have to distance myself from you. Because I can't take a chance with the allegations that were po- posed against you, I can't make it seem like I'm like I'm I'm with you. Well, if you're not with me, then you're against me. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's all different ways around that too. They're just cowards, mm-hmm. you know. Unfortunately, no. Listen, you, you got listen. What you're doing here on this on this podcast, you know, I haven't seen or heard anything like it, you know. But you are helping people. And that's that's the main goal. So, you know, somebody might say something, you know, the upper echelon might tell somebody to distance yourself. Fine. Distance yourself, but be behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, there is I'm not going to cut you off just just because. Yeah. You know, and if like you said, you know, your true friends, they're going to have your back no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, if, if not, then you're a coward. That's just how I feel. And the funny part is, is that I only had like maybe one or two people like reach out to me and be like, you know, what was the investigation about and what was your side of the story? And I screenshotted my fucking evidence, like my concrete fucking evidence that what they were saying was not true. Like it was the it was the biggest bullshit investigation. Like like, let's put it this way. You're a detective. If I handed you this case and gave you what the allegations were, you would laugh me out of your office. That's how insane the allegations were. On top of them being from over a year ago and before I left the agency the first time. And then the ironic thing about it happening right when the podcast starts and then I take the lieutenant's process and 
all these motherfuckers that took the lieutenant's process that didn't do well on the process got butt hurt and hired an attorney and tried to stop the lieutenant's process from happening or the, the promotions from happening. And then they lost that. And then they resorted to this allegation. And then not only did they resort to it, but they concluded the investigation seven days before my probation ends. If as law enforcement officers, if you don't look at that and say to yourself, something's fucking wrong with that, then you're either an idiot or you're just this. This is not the job for you, because if it can happen to me, it could certainly as fuck happen to you. Just a number. Just a number. Just a fucking number. And when you have a chief or a deputy chief or a captain that don't stand by their convictions, um, that's the worst part. That's the worst part. Our, our chief that came to our agency came with a mountain of suspicion, had tons and tons of articles written about him when he was the CHP commissioner in California, tons of articles. And he actually joked about it. He was like, oh, I'm the uh, I, I'm the um, embattled chief. That's what he used to say. I'm the embattled chief from California. And everybody gave him the benefit of the doubt. So all those articles that were written about him in 07 and 08, people really didn't hold a lot of stock into it. But when I left my agency and I went back and I read those articles, it is incredible how 12 years later, the shit's still going on. Like the shit that he was doing back in California, he's still doing now in this agency. The only difference is the CHP was 10,000 officers and this one's 300 officers. And it's upsetting because CHP at that time had a suicide rate seven and a half times higher than the national average. I'll say that again. CHP had a suicide rate seven and a half percent higher than the national average. And this guy couldn't get on board with a with a podcast designed to save law enforcement officers. And this isn't directed at my agency, but whoever is listening from the agency, you need to fucking think about that. You really need to think about that. That was one of the reasons why they wanted to fire him in California was because officers were fucking killing themselves at an alarming rate. And you got a guy that turns around, doesn't stand behind a podcast about mental health for law enforcement officers. Come on. Come on. We're all adults here. We all, you know, just be smarter than that. You know, like I just, my thing is, is ever since I came out public about what happened with me, I've gotten a good amount of emails from other officers that have gone through the same exact thing. And it feels good to get those messages because it's, it's, it's going on in our profession. Like it's, it's rampant in our profession, like crucifying people for doing the smallest mistake just to get rid of them. It's terrible, man. It's just terrible. Just terrible. I hope it changes soon, man. I really hope for our profession. I really am concerned about our profession and the future of our profession. Cause it is, a, it is a fantastic profession. I uh, just got to find the right agency that treats you well. That's that's it. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you you gotta you gotta find that. You know, and and I'm sure there's some agencies out there that take care of their guys. Yeah. You know? They it's yeah. just 
It can't all be like the agency I came from or else law enforcement as a whole would be fucking doomed. Right. You know, but it's a good profession, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I didn't take, I didn't take this profession to, uh, you know, have a badge and a gun. You know, I took the profession in high school, no clue what the hell I wanted to do in college, went into criminal justice and fell in love with it. And to help somebody, that's the best thing that I can do. Um, yeah. And I'm the same way, man. I mean, that's one of the things I really miss about being a cop is, is I really truly did love coming into work every day. I love doing the job, but now that I'm away from it, um, you know, for a month now, I really do recognize how much of a mental toll that it took on me. Um, just poor leadership, just really, really poor leadership. So I think, they, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, I think the leadership will, uh, they don't see it. They don't want to see what, what's going on with the suicide. Um, or it's just, you know, it's not going to happen in my department. But um, you know, better start getting ready because 228 suicides last year and we're we're on a fast track right now for even more. So yeah. they, better, they better fucking get on board. So, all right, folks, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to do an interview with Travis Yates. Law enforcement officers are dying at an alarming rate, not at the hands of criminals, but at their own hands, leaving loved ones to pick up the pieces leaving our brothers and sisters lost, leaving them praying for answers, leaving them praying for someone to do something. We are hurting. We are struggling. We are demanding answers and change. We are the public's guardians and protectors. Now, for the first time, someone is speaking up. From the creators of the Roll Call Room podcast comes peer support training for law enforcement. This training will define our legacy as a profession and change the stigma about mental health in law enforcement. This training will hopefully stop the epidemic of suicides in our profession. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from break. I am Nick, your host. With me is a very, very special guest. I've been looking forward to this interview for quite a while. Uh, with me is Travis Yates. Travis, how are you, bud? Nick, I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. So, folks, uh, those of you that don't know who Travis is, Travis is the author of The Courageous Police Leader, A Survival Guide for Combating Cowards, Chaos, and Lies. Uh, this book cannot have come into my life uh, at a more perfect time than when it did. Uh, I had a fan reach out to me, um, great fan, uh, reach out and say, hey, listen, I'm in the middle of reading this book. And uh, our fans are pretty, you know, they know my backstory of what happened with my department. And he was like, hey, 
do you mind if I reach out to this guy and see if he'll come on the show? And I'm always for it. Um, and then you and I spoke and I tried to buy your book on Amazon and I wanted to get here so quick. So you and I talked and you overnighted me this book. And um, I genuinely, having a New York City public education, do not read a lot of books <laughs> unless they have a lot of color and pop-up right. in it. But I got to tell you, Travis, this book, if there's ever a time in our profession that, that leaders need to read a, a, a certain book, it's your book. So, um, you know, are you seeing a lot of people uh, telling you that about this book? Well, Nick, and I appreciate your what you said there, and I, that really means a lot to me. So I certainly appreciate it, and I, I am I'm getting a lot of feedback. And quite frankly, I wrote the book because I was disgusted what was happening in the profession, and I had some personal friends, some horrible things happen to. I've had a few smaller things happen to me, nothing on the scale that's happened to you and others. But uh, I had no desire to write a book that had been written. There's thousands of leadership books out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to write something that cops could take to the streets the next day and put to use instead of a bunch of theory and pie-in-the-sky nonsense, which we all know comes with a lot of this leadership stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And I've had, quite frankly, I've had a bigger reaction than I imagined. I get emails almost on a daily basis of officers that have, you know, that, have, that are living this. And they, they're, they see what I write about cowardly leaders around them. Uh, they're desperate. They're hurting. And uh, I think it's been an encouragement for them. So that, that feels good to have a part to try to help them as much as I can. Yeah. And folks, let me tell you something. Like, I started reading this book and right, right away, uh, and, and I'm going to quote pages so that when you buy this book, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and you can rewind this. And those of you that can't see, we don't record video, but I have, it's got to be at least 50 post-it notes with highlights of stuff that um, I want to talk to Travis about. Almost immediately on page six, uh, the title, the, the subtitle is The Out-of-Policy po Blame Game. And I, I highlighted two things because... I think a lot of line officers are experiencing these two things, which is the frame and blame and the punishment for politics and the frame and blame. I can speak from personal experience fairly recently, which is as if you don't adapt the, the mindset of these cowardly leaders, you're framed and blamed and your integrity is put out there to discredit you. Um, so that yeah, man, 100%. And, and I, everyone that works in law enforcement knows this. The citizens that we serve don't know this, mm -hmm. uh, that you can be completely right and lose your job. You can be completely right and be destroyed. You can be completely right and have the media and politicians and your bosses destroy everything you've worked for. And that's what frame and blame means. And they're developing policies to do this to officers. Mm -hmm. uh, when your officers are out there working and they have vague policies and they can be interpreted a certain way. Uh, it's a scary thing to be out there and having to make life and death decisions uh, and have someone sit behind a desk, take your policy manual out that's 500 pages, and they will find something on you. We see it every day in this profession. Uh, to the point to where we'll have officers, Nick, that will have a completely justified shooting, 
the shooting may be there may be some outrage by the you know the dozen people in that community and that chief or sheriff will find something in policy it could be something as little as well you didn't report this to me on time or mm -hmm. you you missed a, a paragraph in your report it's just something crazy and they will terminate that officer or severely discipline them to try to appease the crazy people in that society that doesn't understand what use of force is and, and we're seeing this all over the place from pursuits to operations to use of force you name it when outrage happens, they're using frame and blame to literally screw good men and women over. Yeah, and I, and I could tell you from personal experience when um, when the chief of police from my former agency um, wanted to shut the podcast down, you know, publicly was saying he was or or privately with me and my former co-host saying that he was OK with it, sent it off to the city manager. And what they came back was was a policy violation because we were selling T-shirts without a secondary employment. And it was, it was, I know you're chuckling, but that's exactly the kind of bullshit that you see where you're like, there's called collateral punishment, which is I can't get you for the one thing that I want, but I found three other things in these obscure policies um, that now I'm going to find you, uh, the find it sustained. Um, yeah. I mean, very, very prevalent right now. Yeah, Nick. And they, and they use it to put fear among our officers. I mean, Obviously, people do this job or trying to raise their families. They need a paycheck and mm -hmm. what it's created. And you've seen it recently with this pandemic issue is created cops doing things outside of their conscious, doing things they know is not right. But they are in fear of losing their income and losing their livelihood and losing their career because of what's what's happening here. And it is absolutely tragic. And this is why when I talk about leadership. I don't want upper administration to come to my classes. By the way, they're welcome. They just don't ever come because they think they're too important for that kind of stuff. We need every single police officer from day one to understand what we're talking about when it comes to courageous leadership and cowardly leadership. Because mm -hmm. if they can understand it, they can recognize it, they can be prepared for it. And law enforcement, you ever wonder why, Nick, that they don't typically send anyone in law enforcement to leadership training or mentorship until they make rank or until they get to a certain level in the department. Well, why in the world would we do that? The military doesn't do that. They teach leadership day one. They do it to control you. And you get to a certain point that you've achieved, and then they threaten you with, you will do it our way or else. But if we taught people the right way from day one, we'd have a leader on every call, in every situation, on every day, in every squad. And the cowards out there that are being tyrants to our officers and doing this frame and blame game, they would lose because the masses in those agencies would understand what's happening. Yeah. And I and I will tell you, I remember when I made when I made sergeant, the big speech I got in the chief's office was welcome to management. And I've never felt more controlled when I when I got my rank because I was less I was less able to speak up and speak out because once you're in that management role, you got it right on the head, man. You're you're just you're a drone at that point. And um, when I took when I took my step down, or I didn't take it down, it was forced down on me. I went back to, down back down to a patrol officer. I was more dangerous with this podcast than a lieutenant or a captain uh, because it was speaking the str the truth. Um, I mean, we've got like six or seven different leadership episodes on this podcast, and every single one of them created such heartburn within my agency. I can only imagine if other agencies listen to it. Um, and that's why when I read your book, there's so many things in here about, about cowardly leaders and just people that think that they're leaders that are not leaders. Um, like 
you know, lazy cowards o- always seem to uh, to love keeping themselves busy with committees and task force, yeah. task forces. And, I, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine from an agency on the West Coast, and I was telling him about your book, and and, and he went and bought your book, and, and uh, we were talking about this in particular, is every single person in their agency can identify that one commander that does that busy, busy work with committees and task forces that go nowhere. They go nowhere. Yeah, and that's, that's what's been really amazing about this process of putting this book out. And I had no idea the reaction, but the main reaction, you just hit on the nail, Nick. It, you, just, you just hit it on the nail. It's, it, it was it's people come up to me saying, did you write this about my boss? Did you write this about my chief? Because I'm reading this and it's him. Well, I've heard that uh, thousands of times. And in fact, at my own agency, and I work in a large agency in the Midwest, over over 800 police officers. And, uh, you know, my agency's not mentioned in the book. My chief's not mentioned in the book. But that guy lost his mind. You know, he, yeah. he, he thought I was, he was, you know, these chiefs are so egocentric. They think they're so special. They read this and they think that it's being written about them. Uh-huh. Uh, and no, it's it, it's and I think that's that's the power in this book. I had an FBI agent come up to me at a seminar. We, this book was born out of a leadership seminar. And he said, did you did do you know my, my boss? Because I think <laughs> you wrote this about him. So it doesn't matter whether it's county, city, feds, you name it. Uh, law enforcement is suffering. And it is my mission till the day I die, Nick, that I'm going to eradicate these cowards. And and if there were more than just me and you, if we could rise up, if there were just a hundred of us out there, Nick, out of 800,000 in this profession, we would get rid of them because it's time for them to go. Send them to the retirement couch and let them watch Fox News and you get pissed off all day and understand that they did nothing right uh, and when they had this wonderful opportunity to lead men and women. And I'll tell you two things from what you just said. One, I think with this COVID epidemic, it is exposing really, really poor leadership, cowards. Um, and I think the rank and file is really doing a self-evaluation of their leadership. And I think a lot of them are losing their confidence in people that are in high positions in their agencies because they don't respect them for making policies about um, you know, um, enforcing social distancing, social distancing and social justice stuff while their commanders are sitting home teleworking or while their commanders are making decisions about PPE gear that they don't even wear, but they're expecting their officers to wear this uncomfortable equipment or make decisions on their behalf. Like in my agency for the first month of the pandemic, we were not allowed to wear face masks in public because we didn't want to scare the public. <laughs> yeah. And and forget about the fact that we all have families. Forget about that we need to go home after interact and we don't we don't deal with the cleanest, you know, clean Mary Jane who takes a shower every single day, you know. We're dealing with the homeless guy that the last time he took a shower was the was the big rainfall. So so we're exposed to things that other people are not exposed to. So when I read like your your book here, uh, you know, where you compare the business world to to uh, law enforcement, especially in technology, is that we're always 10 years behind. I think for this um, pandemic, we're so far behind. And it's not just this agency that I came from. I think it's across the board. Um, we were just ill prepared and 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 we're just not recognizing that we have peacetime leaders making wartime decisions right now. Yeah. 
That's a great point. And, you know, I came in this profession in 1993. I grew up in a great household. My father was a police commander at another agency. Uh, he was a Marine Corps Vietnam veteran before that. And I have great respect for him. If I, if I have any leadership skills whatsoever, it's because I grew up with a great man and a great leader. And I, I got to be honest with you, though, I'm a little ashamed to say it. I, I got on the department uh, as a 21-year-old kid, and I started working for sergeants and lieutenants and captains that were Vietnam vets, uh, Marine, military. And I, I kind of thought to myself, you got to be shitting me, right? Like, I grew up with this guy, now I got to work for him. Uh, but I got to tell you, uh, I look back and I miss him, Nick. Uh, we need real leaders, real men and women that know how to lead in peacetime and wartime, in controversy and not. And not only was this profession unprepared, our leadership was, was unprepared. And I can tell you, I've been to any leadership training you can mention, I've been there. The FBI National Academy, uh, IACP, all this stuff that, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. But come on, man. It's a social club. It's a, it's, a, it's a check mark on my resume. None of that make a bit of difference. If it did, all these leaders have been to those schools we would not be in the position we'd be in in law enforcement today. We're actually taking a step back and getting worse. And we talk about unprepared. You can take us out of the pandemic. We weren't prepared for post-Ferguson. We weren't prepared for the outrage of the one percenters, the very small minority of individuals that are just absolutely crazy anyway uh, that, you know, when they say stuff. I mean, we I don't I don't know what happens to us, Nick. We put a uniform on as a young officer. We'll run down a dark alley, chase after men with guns. We don't even think twice about it. And then you, you, you make rank and you sit behind a desk and you act like scared little creatures. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Tell the damn truth. Who cares what they think? They're criminals anyway. They couldn't even do this job. That's why they're so pissed off. Mm -hmm. Why are we so scared to just tell the truth? If your officer did what was right, you tell them they did what was right. And if they don't like it, well, oh, well, go move to another city. Go move to San Francisco. Well, they'll, well, they'll kiss your ass and give you money, right? I'm for anything. I don't understand what has happened to us, but I'll tell you, we're knee deep in it because we're seeing young people coming up. They're being trained like this, Nick. I yeah. call it incestual leadership in, the, in our seminars because you, you, everyone sits below the chief or sheriff or captain or whatever. And they go, if I ever get there, I will not act like that. And then what happens is they get there and they're clones of what they saw because what they've learned. And they, and they understand it's the art of self-preservation. Hey, if I can just act like they acted, I'll last a long time. I'll get to my pension. I won't make anybody upset. This is not a profession for the weak at heart and weak in mind. This is a profession that has to deal with controversy. We talk about in the book, we have to deal with chaos. We have to deal with it appropriately with honesty. And if you don't, if you sell your soul to the net one person, you sell your soul to everybody. Yeah. And I, you know, going back to what you said about like when, when, when your chief or your commanders read this book, thought that it was, it was about them. I, I have to tell you two different things. One, when I started this podcast and it was at the 25,000 listener mark, that's all the commanders in my agency thought was that this whole podcast was about them, about trashing them. And I had to keep on telling them this is on an international level. This is far beyond a little city in podunk virginia and in your book on some of these post-it notes you describe my former lieutenant to an absolute t you describe my former captain to an absolute t you describe my deputy chief to the t and you absolutely 100 percent describe my chief in almost every one of these pages in this book and it was it was very eye-opening because when I left my agency, I assumed a lot of the responsibility or took a lot of my a lot of the blame as to why I left my agency. Uh, 
um, and you and I have spoken offline, I struggled with a lot of mental health issues because of poor poor leadership. Um, and I'm in the process of writing a book myself about um, mental health and how poor leadership attributes to it. Um, thankfully, your book inspired me to do that. Um, and I can tell you that this describes a lot of what we have problems with, a lot of our retention problems, a lot of our recruitment problem, a lot of um, people leaving after four or five years, um, a lot of officers killing themselves, a lot of officers killing themselves with alcohol and substance abuse is a lot of this this very, very coward cowardness and chaos and the lies. If the civilians outside of our profession knew the amount of lies that go on within our profession and how we eat our own, they'd be shocked. Yeah, man, it's unbelievable. And it is absolutely unbelievable. You know, the street cops get a lot of flack from the from the trolls and the politicians and all this and that. But it's not those. It's not them that should be getting the flack. Uh, it's, it's those leaders. And, you know, you did you described uh, retention problems and recruiting problems. And we've heard a lot about that, you know, and and these leaders will blame all sorts of other areas for that. Right. No, no. They're, they're, not every department has a recruiting and retention problem. Just the departments that are ran by complete pricks, you know, mm -hmm. complete cowards. Those are the ones that have recruiting and retention problems, but they refuse to look at themselves uh, because that takes courage to do. Listen, uh, what I talk about in this book is not easy, and and we all make mistakes. Uh, I don't care what your rank is or who you are. Everyone makes mistakes until we recruit from the robot world. We're, we're going to be an imperfect being, but this is about striving every day to do the best we possible can be, and I have to think, Nick, and may, maybe I'm being idealistic, but... These cowards, at the end of the day, when they lay their head on the pillow, they know what they are. Mm -hmm. They know. And I think anybody that's been in law enforcement has been around people and, and they see how miserable they are because they know. They know that they're complete weak. They're cowardly, weak leaders that have taken an incredible opportunity. Nick, people watch reality TV to see what we do. Mm -hmm. People would kill to do what we do. It's the greatest job on the planet. And they're going to get to the end of this and they're going to look back and they're going to think to themselves, Man, I am. I have completely, completely demolished everything I should have done. And what I would encourage everybody to do is live your career every day like it's your last and do everything you can to be righteous, correct, right, bold, honorable, courageous, because you never know when it's going to end. And you want to be able to lay your head on the pillow, whether you got to work one year or 30 years, you want to say you did the right thing. And unfortunately, we've got a mound of people that cannot say that. And uh, even if I was fired tomorrow for doing the right thing, I would be able to hold my head up high. But that person that fired me couldn't and they couldn't at the end of the day. Uh, they're, they're seeking temporary uh, protection for themselves for whatever reason, but long-term, it's got to be miserable. You mentioned mental health, Nick. You're 100% right, and no one has had the boldness to say that, so I appreciate you saying that. Yes, we have officers that have lived the lifestyle they shouldn't have lived and made some mistakes and been through some tragedies, maybe in their personal lives that's created some of this, but I'm convinced that the vast majority of our officers that are battling with suicide, uh, with mental health issues, with alcohol issues, drug issues, it's because the work environment they work in is so toxic, they're trying to deal with it the best they can, and because they feel trapped where they are, depending on how long they've been at that department. Yeah. And from experience, I, I worked underneath a, a very, very toxic lieutenant for almost a year, and it 
turned me from the most jovial person. The I loved my job. I loved coming into work every single day. I cherished the, the job to walking away from it. And then when I came back, um, I took a hiatus after I came back. Um, it just wasn't the same because I went from management right down to the, to the rank and file. And then it, it was basically like I was not in the club anymore. I was not in the management club and management hated that because I was a sergeant for seven years. I saw, I saw and heard a lot of shit that, I, that they did not want me telling the rank and file. And I was very vocal. I joined the union as the vice president. And I was very vocal. And I said, listen, this is the reason why they're doing what they're doing. This is the strategy. And they were pissed. They hated it. Um, I worked with a lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot of bad, bad commanders. And, you know, you said, you know, like when I left my agency, it's been a month. Today's a month. Um, took me quite a while for me to realize what, what you just spoke of, which is, is, um, I can lay my head down at night and I'm okay with not working for that agency anymore. But my chief and a couple of the commanders that high-fived when I walked out the door, you got to live with that. You got to live with that, that cowardness that you, that you just did. Like you're no better. And, and these are people that don't display any kind of, um, integrity, uh, as commanders. Um, and it backfired because a lot of the rank and file looked at what they did to me and they were like, what the, f like, if this can happen to Nick, it can happen to anybody. Um, so, I mean, I went off on a, on, on a tangent, but I will tell you that a lot of the stuff in your book about doing busy work as a commander to, to look busy, um, a lot of, uh, um, being okay with, uh, you know, in one, I have it highlighted here. You can spot a, a lazy coward by sabotaging, sabotaging community outreach. Uh, and you can spot it when a crime detail needs three unmarks, but only gets one un unmarked instead. And I can tell you from experience, I've worked for commanders, specifically my former lieutenant, where we had high influx of crime or drugs. And the way to achieve uh, the crime prevention that we needed or the crime reduction was three unmarked cars and a surveillance van. And instead we got one marked car in uniform and told to go out there and do undercover drug interdiction, which is just silly. It's just, it's cowardness because he didn't want to put his neck out there and put officers in plain clothes and unmarked cars um, because he didn't want his captain or the chief to get mad at him. If God forbid one of those officers got in a shooting or got into a use of force. It was too aggressive. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that. We're not seeing proactive policing anymore. We're seeing reactionary policing. We're not seeing officers, newer officers, getting into pockets, getting into cars, and doing interdictions. And listen, I understand that. Officers, they look around, and they come in here with this, you know, but we basically lie to people when they hire on police departments, Nick. We tell them, hey, come fight crime, save the world make your community safer and then they start looking around after about six months on their agency and they see man listen the more i work the more i get in trouble yeah. uh, the more things i do to, to do what they ask me to do the, the more my bosses come down on me the more they hate me uh, and and so they i get it the officers finally go you know what i'll just sit here 
and I'll just respond. I won't, I won't do anything proactive. And that way, you know, nothing bad will happen. Well, that's not always the case because, you know, 90% plus shootings happen on 911 calls. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not, you know, the media wants to make you think we're out here just randomly stopping people and just shooting them. No, they're all being predicated by a witness that points out somebody. We go stop them. And then uh, obviously use of force encounter happens. But uh, you hit on something, Nick, earlier. I wanted to make sure your audience know, know, uh, knows is. Is we are often made to feel like we're wrong. You know, when, when, when bosses come at you in a regular business world, you typically are wrong, right? Because uh, they're looking at the bottom line and they're looking at how that's affected. Uh, in law enforcement, uh, we, we rarely, when that happens, we're rarely wrong, but we're made to feel wrong. And in one of my seminars, we do a tactical seminar called Seconds for Survival. Uh, that's the biggest reason for a uh, lack of proactivity is, is because the officers are made to think that they're somehow wrong by actually arresting criminals. And uh, my big mantra is, is you were never wrong. You aren't wrong. You know, all the lies that's been told. Uh, Ferguson was a complete lie. Everybody knows that now, but they don't believe it because of the media and because mm-hmm. our leaders refuse to say it. Uh, you're seeing lies now, whether it's Georgia or somewhere else, just complete and utter lies. And it's made it's made our profession feel like we're somehow doing something wrong. Listen, we're the most educated, most professional, most prepared profession ever when it comes to the line officers. It's our leadership where the problem is. And the problem with that is, is once they get there, they have figured out how to stay there. And it's typically the cowardice that you see because they typically work for cowardly politicians. And, uh, and what we have to do is we have to put so much pressure on them and do everything that's right uh, that it ends it. Let me just go back to the pandemic. You know, you've seen these pockets in the country to where these officers have, are made to violate people's constitutional rights. I've taken a really hard stand on that because so much of what's going on is just so wrong. And it's really shocked me. And the officers are, are falling orders because they're scared to death. They're scared mm-hmm. of being disciplined. We've had officers fired for this. California officer was recently fired because they wanted him to go check in restaurants and bars and count people. And if it's more than 10 people, they, they wanted him to write tickets and arrest people. And he said, I can't do that. Well, they fire him on the spot. And so that sends the message right to everybody else. And they all just, com- they just com- conform and comply. But listen, I am committed. That's why I'm so proud and honored of what you're doing, Nick, because you're out here doing things that if there were just a hundred of us, my God, if there were a thousand of us, if we as a profession stood up to cowards and we talk about it in the book, they would, it'd be over with, we'd win. Uh, but we were not there yet. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I couldn't get enough people to come to the seminars because there's only so many people you can see in a, in a classroom environment. So I wrote the book to try to get this to the masses to try to wake them up. And I do see an awakening. I, I see it happening. I'm hearing about it every day. And at the end of the day, I want the, the officers out there that are working hard, fighting crime, making their community safer to know that you're not wrong in doing that. You're, you're doing uh, the most honorable work there is. And so I don't care what someone tells you. You're right. They're wrong. We need to push forward. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think what we're bringing up now in our profession are par- parking lot dwellers, fire, fire dispatch uh, type of officers where they only go when they're dispatched to go. And it is because the the more I remember, I remember coming up, uh, I've been in law enforcement between my agency and in New York City, uh, somewhere around like the 20 year mark. And I remember when I first came up, even in this agency in Virginia, uh, during field training, you were told, you know, if you get a lot of complaints, that means you're doing a lot of work Mm -hmm. and good for you. And somehow the pendulum has changed, which is now. The more complaints you get, the more lia- the more you become a liability. The more the optics look like you're too aggressive of an officer. Um, and that scares a lot of officers now. Even field trainers are not training new recruits to be as aggressive because 
they're afraid that their recruits are not going to keep their jobs. Um, like you said, it, it's funny that you said about the bar is one of the one of the things when this pandemic started before I left my agency, my lieutenant ordered me to go down to the bar district and walk up and down the bar district and go in each bar and same thing, count that there were 10 people in the bar. And if there was more than 10 people, I was to order the manager to shut down the bar until there were 10. And I refused to do that. I refused to do that. That This is a business owner who's barely making ends meet. And they've got 12 people in the bar. I'm going to tell them to close down the entire business because there's too, too many people. Come on. And there's a lot of officers like that, that officer from Washington, from Seattle, Washington, um, that, that made his speech in his cruiser. And yeah, and I get there's a social media um, policy that, that his department has, but they canned him. They were behind him at first. And then when it got legs and it got 400,000 views, and you even say in your book here, and that, that reminds me, this perfect caveat into that, the punishments, especially with social media violations, are dependent on likes and shares as opposed to the merit of the post. The more likes and shares you have on your post, the more the punishment is or the more severe the punishment is. And yeah, it's it. It's a huge indicator of cowardly leadership, and it's one of our top ten where we talk about discipline inconsistently. Uh, that they discipline based on the outrage versus the actual incident, you know. And that Washington incident is a prime example. People need to people need to remember he was. Uh, I don't know if he's been terminated yet, but it's going to happen. I mean, that's been the indication. Uh, he will be terminated for telling the truth. Yeah, that should scare every American in this country. And we've seen this in other areas. I mean, the people have been, their character has been destroyed. I've been, you know, people have attempted to destroy me for telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And that is a very frightening time. And leaders are, I mean, let's look at social media policy. I mean, are you telling me in the port of Seattle where they have 120 police officers, there's never been a policy violation for social media? Of course there is. There mm -hmm. is in every major city because it's just the way it is. They don't terminate people based on a violation of social media policy. And they had a prime opportunity in that agency to do the right thing. They could have, they could have given him a very light punishment and they could have embraced what he said. And they actually did, as you said, as you mentioned, they embraced it when it was, you know, 30,000 views, when they got to 400,000 views the next day, then they said, well, you got to take it down. He said, well, I got to take it down. It's the same video. Well, this, this brings up a phenomenon and you mentioned it earlier with the leaders that will give you lack of resources for things and sort of kill projects that way. Uh, I, I want to say this for the audience that may be listening that's not in law enforcement, because every law enforcement officer knows exactly what I'm about to say. You cannot become bigger or more important or do better than the person you're working for if they're a coward. Mm. You know, because if you if you if you do something that works, if you do something that gives a little credit, uh, man, those cowards feel like they're threatened. And that's and and when you look at the promotional system in law enforcement, that's how people are getting ahead by pushing other officers down. You call them eating their own earlier. It's exactly true. And so what happens is, is it kills our creativity. It kills what we do because officers realize, hey, I can only do so much because if I do too much, it's going to bring the attention down on me for doing too much. And, you know, that is that is unbelievable. And, and that's why we talk about in our seminars, courageous leadership. They embrace that. They want you to do great things, because ultimately, if you do great things, Nick, it makes the department look good. It makes your leadership look good. And in the military, you have that phenomenon. But we are so far behind what true leadership is. 
It is sickening. And what is fearful for me and what I'm scared of is it's almost like we're continuing to go down this path. I don't see a turn in this. And that's why I say uh, they're going to have to go. 100% they're going to have to go uh, because this profession will not look the same in 10 years if we do not eradicate the cowards. Yeah, and and, and Travis, you and I will talk offline. I'll tell you my, my story more specifically. But for me, what I witnessed on my on my push out out of my agency was so was so corrupt that if you would have told me two years ago that my agency would have done that to me, I would have told you you were nuts uh, because once the podcast couldn't be shut down and once the city manager, I'm sorry, the city attorney gave the the go ahead for the podcast, then came an allegation from over a year ago to discredit. Uh, or to to ruin my credibility by calling me a thief. And I've never, ever seen an agency get that desperate to get rid of somebody. And it was it was disheartening. And when I read your book, and I'm reading here, it is a classic example of seek and destroy. It's It's more of like, well, we'll just discredit him, and now nobody will listen to him, which is not the case because, you know, with 100,000 people listening to the podcast, <laughs> I'm still here, you know, but... It's 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 terrible because I I look at your your top ten list and if you don't mind I'm going to read the top ten list for characteristics of cowardly police leaders blame others are lazy serve themselves refuse to learn from failure do not follow a moral compass discipline inconsistently avoid necessary conflict take credit they don't deserve micromanage and are hypocrites. And I can tell you that my experience on my exit from my agency, every single one of these were hit. Wow. It's a hundred percent test score. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the funny part is, is that every person that's listening to this right now in their cruiser, a lot, a lot of our, a lot of our audience are overnight officers or late night officers. They're going to turn around and listen to this. And they're going to be like, that's Sergeant Stevenson. That's yeah. and then Jones, yeah. that's Captain so and so, and they're gonna they're gonna die laughing because I was the same exact way when I read this book. I was sitting on the couch, and I would out loud I would turn around and chuckle, and my kids would go, "Dad, it, does it resonate with you? Do you do you see people from your former agency that this like you could put names to these?" I go, "It's every single freaking commander. It's almost." Let me back up. There are some really, really good commanders, mm-hmm. but they're so scared. They're so petrified to speak up because these are the same commanders that behind closed doors were telling me and my former co-host about this podcast. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. You know, I'm so proud of you. I can't publicly say it, but I'm so proud of you. But then publicly, they're like, oh, those guys are nuts. Their careers are over. They want to be good leaders. They're starving to be good leaders. And the sad part is, is new officers are starving for that type of leadership. They're just starving for it and they eat it up. They, they are. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a personal story of, of kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, there's a, there was a way to handle what happened to Greg Anderson in, in Washington. There was a way to handle what you were doing uh, there in Virginia and uh, this is what it is. I, I was uh, I've been teaching on the road for almost 20 years. I'm very, very blessed to have the opportunity to meet officers. I've been in 48 states, three countries, and I've taught 
thousands and thousands of officers. I've been very blessed to be able to do that. But when I started, my department said, this is a great thing. You know, I mean, wear your, wear your, wear, wear your emblem on your, of your, of your, you know, represent our department. We'll give you time off to go do it. As long as you're not getting paid for, you know, we'll let you go travel and you can represent us. This is, this looks good on us of what you're doing. And then of course, a few years into that, as that grew and grew, that, that sentiment changed. And then the next thing I know, they're telling me, uh, not only can you not do it on duty, uh, but you cannot represent us and you better not say the right thing when you go to that department in New York City or whatever, uh, because if you do, it's going to get back to us. And, and you know, and they have this the blame game with the policy, mm-hmm. right, where this 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 conspicuous policy of conduct unbecoming or whatever it is. <laughs> and 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 of course, fortunately, I think I've been blessed by by God to just go when, when I'm told that I go, oh, I'll double down. Right. And mm-hmm. that's and that's one of the reasons the book came out. Um uh, because uh, uh, when when I started getting a lot of heat for some of the things I was doing, and I was doing it correctly. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't acting crazy. I wasn't doing anything. To, I mean, I wasn't representing myself. In fact, you won't find where I work in the book. You won't find where I work when I write articles. You won't find it. Uh, but it bothered them so much. And the 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 way that courageous leaders deal with this is they embrace that. If it's mm-hmm. positive for your agency to make sure you feel good, they embrace that. Now, I'll take you to live PD real quick. Uh, People are probably familiar with Sean Sticks Larkin, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine. I've worked for him for a lot of years. You probably now know where I work. And uh, he, he went on that show representing our agency, wearing our agency logo, and the leadership flipped, man. They went nuts. And if you notice, he wears an FOP, a union shirt now. Well, why would we not embrace that? He's very popular on that show. He has a national, international audience and but because he had become so popular and was doing a really good job at what he was doing, they got scared. And you see that on a smaller scale with what you're doing, with what I'm mm-hmm. doing, what other people are doing. Uh, they're fearful of that. And what we ought to be doing, Nick, is we ought to be embracing it. And uh, for some reason, uh, we've really refused to be able to do that. Yeah. And it's funny because when we were at twenty five thousand listeners is when I got called up. Um, my my co-host did not get called up. I got called up privately with my chief my director of human resources and my newly promoted deputy chief. And almost immediately he, uh, he was like, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the type of language that you use on the podcast. And I said, okay, that's not a problem. We can tone it down. We're good for, we're, we're open for parameters, but we want you guys to get behind it. We want you to ordain it. We want the department to allow us to say where we work. And just refused, just refused. And um, I said to him, I I remember saying to my chief, I was like, I have hundreds of emails from officers that were about to commit suicide that are no longer thinking about it and going to get help and getting medication because of this podcast. You can attach your department's name to this and be part of the cutting edge of law enforcement, mental health an epidemic. That's that it, it's an epidemic now. 228 suicides last year, 62 right now, as we talk, talk about this episode that we're talking on this episode and we're only in May. Refused, refused. And now that I'm no longer with the agency, now we're getting picked up by publications. Now we're getting picked up by by law enforcement publications asking us what we did. How do we how do we grow this thing? And there's a large following. People are listening to this show. There are people that are listening and they're they're understanding that it's okay to not be okay. And I never forget walking out of the office, that, walking out of that conference room and 
a good portion of my respect for that man disappeared because he did not want to to get behind it. And then ultimately, I learned that behind closed doors, the commanders that were angry about this podcast got their way. They were they were gnawing in his ear saying, you got to shut this podcast down. All these guys do is talk about poor leadership. They're they're diming us out. And instead of saying to them, are you mad because he's saying it or are you mad because it's true? He just he he went he went the other route. He just backdoored and went a different way to shut the shut the podcast down. Well, didn't shut the podcast down. Just just put me out of work. Yeah. And I tell you, I want to encourage every one of your listeners out there in this profession. And I guarantee you, if there are any if they have an ounce of good cop in them, they've all experienced what we're talking about on some level. And I want to encourage them to do what you did, Nick, and what others have done is when this happens to you, turn it into a positive. Don't let them win. Mm-hmm. It, by shutting everything down and bow, bowing your head down and sitting in a parking lot and acting like a firefighter and watching porn and sleeping or whatever they do, um, you they win. And mm-hmm. uh, you, the example of what you're doing with this show is a great example. In fact, this is this thing is going to explode even more because of what they did. And I got a, a quick personal example. I don't generally like talking about myself, but I want to encourage people uh, of, of some of the things I've experienced. I was uh, involved in driver training for many, many years on a national scale. I, f- I filmed videos with Line of Duty Films, and I taught around the country doing it. It was really my first love. I'm doing other things now, but uh, my department, it, once it got a little too big and too international, they decided, you know what, let's take him out of that unit. It was a, and so they ripped me out of that unit, and I was actually a commander at the time. And, and, and I said, that's fine. But after I, you know, after I cried in my milk for a week or two, I decided I need to, I need to make this a positive. And so I developed a program called Below 100. And I bet many of your audience has heard of it because it's radically changed, uh, you know, main safety and law enforcement. It's, it's mandated in the basic academy in about 26 states right now. I still get emailed a lot about that program. That's, that's doing its, its great things now with its own organization. But I was able to found, you know, found that with a, co, with a co, co-founder named Dale Stockton. And, but I would have never done that. I would have never had time to do that if I would have been remained in that training unit uh, that they that they booted me out of. And uh, I saw that commander who is now since retired. He's a civilian now. He saw me in an elevator one day recently. And he says, you know, how you doing, Travis? I said, you know what? Uh, I appreciate what you did to me that one time. Remember when you sat there and lied to me and told me this and that? I appreciate it because if it wasn't for you, below 100 wouldn't exist. And yeah. we, we may have saved countless lives through that program. And I've gotten testimonies to say that. And so there's a way to turn this into a positive. And the reason we need to understand this now, Nick, is your audience may be sitting there as a as just a slick sleeve street cop, but they're going to be in a position one day to change this. They're going to be a sergeant. They're going to be a lieutenant. They're going to be a major or chief. They're going to be there one day. And if we can get them to embrace this now when they get there, they'll remember it and we'll change everything we thought we knew about this profession. Yeah. And I will say um, I took the below 100 class. And- oh, Awesome top three best class I've ever taken. Um, there was a mother of, um, two, two daughters that were killed from an officer that was, you you know who out. Yeah. And let me tell you something, um, guilty as charged. I would wear my seatbelt in my cruiser 50, 50. And most of the reason why was because I was always running out of my cruiser to go after somebody and I would get choked by my seatbelt below 100 changed my, uh, my philosophy on wearing a seatbelt. I never left police headquarters without my seatbelt after that class. Well, 100% true story. Hmm. Below 100 would have never happened if cowards would not have gotten in my way. 
And because the cowards got in my way, I just kind of have this mindset of, I'm not going to let you win. I'm going to do bigger and better things. In fact, I'm in the middle of doing some, I think it was going to be some pretty, pretty cool things now because of some recent activity. I will tell you, I work for a chief now that has displayed a ton of courageous qualities. I don't just say that because I work for him because trust me, people that know me know that I will not shy away from calling people out. Uh, but man, he is really good at letting people shine, putting people in the right positions. And he is accomplishing a lot of things, not because he's doing it, because he's letting the experts at his agency do it to people that love what they do. And that's all that has to happen. That's what's so insane here is you spend all your time pushing people down and attacking people and destroying people. Just sit back and let the great men and women that wear this badge do what they do best. And your entire department and community will change for the better. Yeah, I agree. Because when I was a sergeant, when I let my people do what they had to do and just let them go, they brought me excellent results. They bought, bought me guns and drugs in the in the in the hundreds, in the hundreds, and they made me look good by doing it. Um, and I took no accolades from it. I gave it all to them. Yep. And I have to say, Travis, man, I believe it too. Like the last month has just been a dumpster fire for me. Like not working, being unemployed sucks. But it has diverted my entire attention to blowing this podcast up bigger because I was always restricted by my department. And that's not the case anymore. The 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 it's skyrocketed over the last couple of weeks. I can't say what the publication is, but in July there'll be a major publication uh, with this podcast in it, and I presume that it'll be. I don't presume it. It's going to elevate us to a whole different level. Uh, and I would have never. I would have never had an interaction with you, and I would have never started writing my book. I started this morning writing my book, and I wrote two chapters this awesome. morning. Um, just fire, just passion about toxic leadership and mental health and all that stuff. So um, kudos to you, man. I mean, that, that was the huge inspiration to me. Before I let you go, I want to just read the top 10 for courageous police leaders so they have a comparison. Sure. This is the top 10. Serve others first. Follow the police like you want to be policed rule. Build trust, respond instead of react, accept accountability and challenge assumptions, anticipate chaos, listen and learn, lead by example, tell the truth and stay in the fight. And every great leader that I've ever had in this profession has displayed every single one of these, every single one of them, without even knowing that they're doing it. Well, and an important one as we speak is stay in the fight because this is a fight. If you're here in this profession to do the right thing, and the vast majority of us are, there's a fight. It's not with the criminals. Those are easy to deal with. It's mm -hmm. with your own leadership. And, and Nick, I want to encourage all of your audience, uh, and I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to send you $100 when I get off here because you have taken a bold stand. And you're, you are doing things that this profession needs. You've lost your job for it. You've sacrificed your career for it. And your audience needs to support that. In fact, they need to support you at a level where you're making more money doing this than you were on the job. And we've done that with Greg Anderson. I think he's got a half a million dollars in the bank now yeah. because of because of what they did to him. But Americans and law enforcement specifically need to support people like you and others that are doing what needs to be done. Because without it, Nick, without what you do, without what other people are doing, this profession is gone. 
we've lost it. And all you got to do is look at Chicago and San Francisco and some of these other insane cities to understand what's going to happen in your town or community if you don't do something. And don't sit back and think, that's not going to happen here. Oh, no, it's coming for you. And we need to get ahead of it. And we need to stop it. And so I want to encourage all of your audience, if everybody listening through you, 20 bucks a month, uh, we're going we're gonna to outperform what you were making and gives you more, uh, you know, more energy, so to speak, and more forthright to actually keep doing this on a full-time basis. And so we need to support people like you and people like Greg Anderson. And I appreciate it, man. I, and, you know, I go back to if, if, if you would have told me a year ago that my department, my former department would be doing what they're doing, like I've applied for so many law enforcement jobs within the last month that I've been out of work. And every single time my former department has slammed the door, just completely blacklisted. And that's disheartening. It's very. What is the best way to win? The best way to win, the best way to make them know about a bunch of cowards they are is for you to thrive. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's dependent on your audience and law enforcement to make sure that happens. And we need to be aware of this. If we do not stand up against, you know, against this tyrancy and these cowards, they're going to ultimately ruin this profession. They're on their way now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I see this stuff happening daily. And I would encourage everybody to go to lawofficer.com. I'm a CEO of that company. It's a pretty large media company in law enforcement. And we see these stories coming across our desk every single day, uh, what's happening. And it is outrageous what's happening. And Sad. every single one of us, if we love what we do, and we want to make it to the end of our career and not be an absolute head case, we need to be standing up for people like you, Nick. I appreciate it, Travis, man. I mean... I'm I'm as uh, one great positive thing that has come out of my whole my whole dumpster fire is I mean this this book changed my life. I mean that now I have people email me like they email you every day. I just had an officer who had a supervisor. He had a death in the family and his supervisor berated him for taking too much time off. And I said, "Listen, buddy, I'm going to screenshot this book. I want you to go on Amazon. I want you to buy this thing." And I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's going to help you understand the type of leadership that you're working for. It is it is now my 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 highly recommended police Bible for officers to truly understand what toxic leadership is, because like you said, there's a million leadership training classes. I've gone to FBI Alita. I've, I have my trilogy. I've gone to many, many FBI, you know, like leadership classes. And you look around the room. And none of those people in there are leaders. They're doing it for uh, MIR credits or they're doing it to get out of the office for a five day class or for travel or whatever. But they're not truly doing it for the main mission. They're not doing it for the main mission, which is to better our profession. Um, and, and I think I mean, I'll say it again. I think your book is an is a absolute necessity, especially for recruits that are in the academy. So if you're listening to this and you're not a cop yet. You should you should buy this book. Get ready. Buckle up. <laughs> it's a bumpy ride. Um, but, Travis, I appreciate you coming on, man. Um, I can't say enough. Uh, you, you've been awesome. Um, I mean, I could I could probably do four episodes just on your book. I seriously can. Um, and I, I want to thank you for what you're doing for the profession, my friend. 
Well, Nick, thank you. It's it's such an honor to be here. Uh, I want to thank all of your audience out there that's in that patrol car. Thank you so much for what you do. I've been doing this job for 27 years. Lord willing, I got a few more in me. And I want to finish strong. I want you to finish strong and just know that, uh, you know, you got a lot of support out there. You may not think it when you come to work every day, but there's still courageous leaders out there. We They're still out there. They're still fighting. You're part of that. And uh, anything I can do for any of you listening, uh, please let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the show. Uh, I want to remind you to check out rollcallroom.com. Uh, join our Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe as a Patreon and pledge each month to keep the show going. You can always email me at nick at rollcallroom.com. Uh, Travis, uh, what website can they try and reach you at? You know, uh, for some of the a lot of cool things coming up, I want you to go to lawofficer.com and subscribe to the newsletter. We'll keep you informed there. Of course, we, we pop out news articles every single day. You can like that on Facebook. Uh, but uh, specifically for leadership, they can go to stopcowards.com, stopcowards.com. We, we have links to the book over to Amazon. You can, of course, buy it directly off Amazon. And you can reach me through that website as well. You can, there's a newsletter there you can you can subscribe to. But we, guess we, we actually have an online portal coming, a membership portal to where we're going to give you uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're going to give, if you embrace what we're talking about here, uh, you're going to get some of the most cutting edge, you know, timely stuff on a monthly basis you've ever seen. And we're going to launch that at the end of summer. We're really excited about that. But all that will be there at stopcowards.com. Awesome. And all right, folks, the uh, name of the book is The Courageous Police Leader, A Survival Gu- Guide for Combating Cowards, Chaos and Lies. All right, folks, be safe out there. That little cute guy right there is me. It's when I had hair. That bigger guy is my father. And um, my father was a Marine Corps veteran. He played Division I college football. And he volunteered to go to Vietnam. He could have opted out because of his scholar scholarship. But he, like many heroes of the day, he went to Vietnam. Came back and served with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for a time and then ended up in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and retired after 27 years. And he didn't say much. He was one of these sort of quiet, humble leaders we talked about today. You know, nowadays, if you don't have an Instagram account, and you're not writing articles and teaching, well, who are you? Let me tell you something. Most of our great leaders aren't doing any of that, folks. Some of them are you, some of them are not you, but most folks you're never going to read about. They're just leading every day, and that's what he was. And I decided to go into law enforcement. He didn't say much to me. went to college, he just asked me to go to college. I went to college and then I entered the police academy and I graduated the police academy in September of 1993. He still hadn't said much to me. In fact, he was so nonchalant about it, I never really shot a gun before I went to the police academy. He didn't push me to do anything one way or the other. And I'm graduating the police academy and you pick someone to pin the badge on you. Some of you have done this before. And my father, who was about my age now, walks up to me to pin my badge on, and I think to myself, this is it. This great leader, this man, that, this man of men, this man that I look up to is going to give me the words of wisdom to lead, to, do, to, to be successful in this career like he's been. What will those words of wisdom be? What's he going to say to me? This is all he said. If I'd have showed you that slide the first day, it'd been a pretty short day. That's all he said. 
I've tried to live every day of my life since with those words in my head. And put my feet on the ground in the morning and I've tried to live that out and I have not always been successful. We're not perfect beings, but when I messed up, I made a commitment to get up the next day and be perfect again. And that's what I'll leave you with today. Not all of us are gonna be perfect leaders. Not all of us are gonna treat everybody with great dignity and respect. Unlike Chick-fil-A employees, we have bad days. But I'm gonna ask you to keep this in your memory as you go out there today. Treat others the way you wanna be treated. And if we did that, collectively, as a profession, as leaders, how great can we be? Thank you so much for having me today. All right, fans, thanks so much for tuning in to another great episode of the Roll Call Room. I want to remind you that uh, we are on YouTube. Go on our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're also on Twitter at Roll Call Room. We're also on Facebook at Roll Call Room Podcast. We're also on Instagram. Uh, we're always asking for you guys to go on iTunes and rate us a five star with a comment. Um, helps us climb the charts. Uh, don't forget to check out bluehelp.org. Uh, if you're struggling out there um, and you need somebody to talk to, we highly recommend them. Don't forget about our nonprofit, um, tagfink.com. Uh, we got some great shows coming up soon, and uh, we love hearing from you guys. So please email us at nick at rollcallroom.com or mike at rollcallroom.com. And always take care of each other, look out for each other, and check on each other.